Hi, I'm Beko Pin, and this is 36 Years, where we talk about Philippine politics, news, and democracy. On May 9, the Philippines elected Ferdinand Marcos Jr. as president. He is the second Marcos to hold the post. The first, his father. The dictator was ousted from power on February 25, 1986 in the People Power Revolution. That was 36 years ago. Here, we try to answer the question, where is Philippine democracy heading? 36 years after the revolution. Welcome to 36 Years, available on Rappler social media pages and on wherever you listen to podcasts. First, a quick overview of ongoing news events this week and key events from the week prior. The transition process from the Duterte to the upcoming Marcos administration continues. President-elect Ferdinand Marcos Jr. has told his incoming budget chief, Amena Pangandaman, to make sure his programs are in the 2023 budget, which the 19th Congress will deliberate on and later approve. If you don't know, his allies are set to head both chambers in Congress. His cousin, Representative Martin Romaldez, is set to become Speaker of the House, while Senator Mig Zubiri, who was part of the UD team's late, is set to be Senate President. Anyway, focus areas include agriculture and food security, climate change adaptation, economic recovery, improved healthcare and education, enhanced infrastructure projects, including digital infrastructure, utilization of renewable energy sources, strengthened tourism and jobs creation, sustainable development. This is more or less what was in his platforms um, in, 20, in the 2022 campaign, which was released via video with weeks to go in the 2022 campaign period. More cabinet picks are being announced. Check out Rappler's story page for the latest updates on the transition of power, bukod sa appointments and dun updates sa inauguration, sa upcoming inauguration ni President-elect Marcos. In the news last week, a name we have not heard in a while and a name many younger viewers and listeners may not be familiar with, June Lozada, the whistleblower in the NBNZTE deal, surrendered to the National Bureau of Investigation after the Supreme Court upheld the verdict in a graft case filed against himself and his brother. Here's context for you from ABS-CBN's Nico Bawa in Senate hearings held from 2007 to 2008. That is 15 years ago. Lozada alleged that officials of the Gloria Macapagal Arroyo administration tried to earn millions from the NBNZTE deal. This was supposed to improve communications between government agencies. Following the expose, the deal was scrapped. Cases were filed against Arroyo, then Comelec Chief Benjamin Abalos and other officials, but they have since been acquitted. Lozada was ordered jail for a different case, awarding his brother leasehold rights over 6.5 hectares of public land while he headed the Philippine Forest Corporation. Lozada faces jail time between between six to ten years. Former President Arroyo, meanwhile, was re-elected to her post as second district Pampanga representative. Benjamin Abalos was just re-elected as Mandolin City Mayor. That's a post he held almost two decades ago. And his son, Ben Hor, is the incoming DILG chief of President-elect Bongbong Marcos. Those are the headlines. <music> Our first episode for 36 years picks up from a conversation we had on election day, which took place almost a month ago to this day. Lele Claudio is an assistant professor under the Department of South and Southeast Asian Studies of UC Berkeley and has written books on Philippine history, liberalism, but more importantly on election day, as over 31 million Filipinos here in the Philippines cast their vote for Ferdinand Marcos Jr., it was Leloy who reminded us, referring to the intensity of this information in the Philippines, that it will get worse before it gets better. Thank you for joining us, Leloy. May ikaka-worse pa ba to? Thank you, Bea. Um, well, <laughs> it can get worse kasi hindi natin alam talaga kung ano yung gagawin ni Ferdinand Marcos Jr. In yes. terms of cabinet appointments, a lot of the cabinet appointments seem like they're normal cabinet appointments, lalo na din sa economic block. Pero yung kanyang justice secretary has already started threatening the media. So that's yeah. one area where I think it would get absolutely worse. Yeah. And he already made pronouncements also uh, opening the possibility of cha-cha um, mm. under Bongbong Marcos. Okay, so the last time we saw each other, you had a glass of red wine in hand. Bongbong Marcos was not yet president-elect. Bumoboto pa lang. Kakabukas lang actually ng polls when you dialed in the last time. Uh, ang dami na nangyari. He's been proclaimed by Congress. Inauguration plans are in place. 
the National Museum, where the legislature used to be housed. We can talk about that later, the irony of his uh, chosen venue. Uh, but how have you been personally since then? Well, as I told you, during election day, I had already steeled myself for the result. Actually, I'd steeled myself for the result maybe mga three weeks before the election day. So I've been ready for it. But ever since, it's become a kind of roller coaster ride for me. So, for example, when I heard uh, the, the incoming Justice Secretary threaten the media and say yeah. that the media should strengthen the nation state and not tear it down, which means effectively saying the media should not threaten the nation state. Um, so incoming Secretary Remulia is saying that the media cannot criticize. And he yeah. even said something very specific. He said, why does the media call the incoming president a son of a dictator? So he's kind of already warning the media, these are no go, this is no-go territory. Mm-hmm. And then next interview naman niya, he says something like, you know, we should review the Dilima case. So medyo nakampante ako. So... Pabago-bago eh. So until, until manumpa siya at makita talaga natin what Marcos Jr. governance looks like, I think it's going to be a roller coaster ride for me and a lot of Filipinos who are concerned about the future. Yeah. The funny thing, well, I don't want to say it's funny, but like as, as someone who also covered his campaign, like for a lot of, for, for, a, for a big chunk of the campaign, parang it was also a guessing game. Kasi like I said, um, his platform wasn't really expressed thoroughly up until the weeks leading up to election day and hindi nga thorough parang video clips lang eh like he didn't actually have like a printed out manifesto for everyone to scrutinize and everyone to pick apart or ask but well, ask questions as if he lets us ask questions for the most part din naman I'm sorry about that <laughs> ano ba yung katingkati mong itanong ikaw personally ako I think I focused more on his platform, especially when he released the videos, right? Like he had he had very grand promises, grand but vague. Um, parang kunwari, ano, when you say you want to prioritize agriculture, ano ibig sabihin nito? Um, tsaka I think yung isa nga, parang na, na, siguro gusto itanong din ng mga tao about his promises or about his platform was, saan mo ba kukunin yung pera na to given the the economy that's gonna be, that he'll be inheriting, right? After Duterte exits office. And I think si... Um, in si current finance chief kind of laid it out uh, when hmm. he presented to media yung parang proposals nila for the incoming um, finance secretary. Well, there's a, there, I think there's really going to be a difference in terms of yung finance secretary. Very subtle. Pero nakita ko, nakita ko na to when Diokno was in um, the central bank and when Dominguez was in finance, yung yeah. interview sila sa Bloomberg, iba yung sinasabi nila eh. Sa, sa tanong ng Bloomberg kay Dominguez, are you concerned about the debt? He'd say yes. Tatanong kay Diokno, well, you know, your counterpart, uh, finance secretary, is saying that that is a problem. And then he would fudge. He'd say, actually, maybe he didn't really say that. He was really concerned about growth. Ganyan. And now it be- it's become very clear that actually he disagrees with Dominguez. He doesn't think that that is such a big issue. He, he thinks we should get back to 67% growth. And then that will take care of everything. I actually agree. I, I mean, I'm consistent naman here. I like big spending. I like lots yeah. of debt. That's always been my position. Um, and so I kind of agree with Diokno over Dominguez. And I think that's that's a good sign because uh, we should really get into the headline. No? Ang sama pakinggan, 11 trillion pesos, 60% GDP ratio. But we have to think about that comparatively. 60% to 70% debt to GDP ratio still places us in the bottom half globally in terms of debt to GDP ratio. And hindi na nga hulugan mataas yung debt to GDP ratio, mahirap yung bansa. In fact, Japan is the most indebted country in the world at 250% debt to GDP ratio. So I I I think you know the the way forward for Marcos critics like myself is to not deny that they have good ideas. Like I think yeah. Ben no actually has good ideas and I heard someone I disagree with vehemently thinking Pinoy defending Ben Diokno and I actually agreed with him uh even even though our politics are completely different. But that's one one way to, I think, bridge these particular gaps eh, to, to make certain concessions na minsan may tama kayo. Yeah. And I think, I guess, siguro quirk din yun ng Philippines, no? Where your values, where values don't necessarily coincide with policy. Um, mm-hmm. But we can talk about that later on. Gusto ko muna mag-zoom out and mag-look back ng kaunti. Um, dito sa, I think, I think the big question in a lot of people's minds uh, how did we get here? Um, you know, like, no, see, si, si incoming Secretary Remulia nga said na, bakit ba laging 
son of a dictator. Well, I mean, that's a fact. Um, and it's okay. also an editorial call to, to point that out, um, especially when you talk about the context of why he was elected, how he was elected, the, the backdrop of, of um, Bong Bong's election into power, you know, 36 years after. So, Lelo, I read something that you wrote back in 2010 alongside Romel Kuraming. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay, I'm going to read it. First ever I'm... academic piece. Are so, you medyo serious? Medyo hilaw, oh, medyo pa ako dyan. Okay, but I'm going to read a few lines, ha? Um, so, intro pa lang to. Uh, the, the extent to which the EDSA revolt may be considered as a critical juncture thus depends significantly on the assessment of and meanings attached to the Marcos years. Conversely, the way in which images of Marcos era evolve will be greatly influenced by the changes in how the public views EDSA. Does it annoy you that you were right? Does it annoy you that you <laughs> predicted the 2022 elections in a way? Well, hindi ko, na, hindi ko na predict because actually during that time I was also doing field work in Hacienda Luisita. So, sa Hacienda Luisita, doon ko unang narinig yung word na dilawan. Oh. And um, it was this used was what, in the way, this was in 2009-2010. So this was the first time na narinig ko yung word na dilawan used pejoratively because yeah. these were activist farmers mm-hmm. who were opposing the... Noy Noy Aquino and the Kohanko family. So ginagamit nila yung word na dilawan. But at that time, my, my conclusion was, this is a narrative that is a kind of ground-based narrative, but that this, it is an exceptional narrative. I thought the, the society was actually defined by the yellow narrative. And nung time na yon, madino pa rin kung sino yung kakampi ng taong bayan at sino yung kalaban ng taong bayan. And since then, of course, um, that nagbago yun lahat. So, what I didn't realize, what, what, what was brewing in Hacienda Luisita, that would be nationalized in the span yes. of 10 years. Yeah. How was it nationalized, do you think? Well, interesting. Noong time na yun sa Hacienda Luisita ako, trinotroll ako noon. Actually, ang unang mga trolls ko were yellow trolls. Trinotroll ako ng mga yellow trolls because I was writing against, you know, what I felt felt was really you know, unfair and unjust governance in Hacienda Luisita. So I, I was being trolled by my, my future comrades in the Dilawan movement. I say that, I say that in jest, of course. Um, tapos, uh, nung time na yun, napansin ko, the people who were kind of echoing my position in terms of the critique of Hacienda Luisita was this YouTube called, ano yun, Pinoy Monkey Pride. Naalala mo yun, Bea? I think that was the first kind of pro-Marcos YouTube account. Pero yung YouTube account na yun, it wasn't, Yet, talking about why Ferdinand Marcos was great, it was just mm-hmm. talking about Hacienda Luisita, the problem with the yellow narrative. And una, I was very sympathetic to it kasi yun din yung nakikita ko sa Hacienda Luisita. And then, yeah. of course, lumaki ng lumaki yun, mas naging, mas naging confident yun. Kaya nagbago talaga lahat. But of course, if you want to ask me the question, when did it start? You know, when did yeah. this road start? I mean, I can say actually as early as 1965. Kasi yeah. the myth-making surrounding Marcos started during that election. Yeah, yeah. Um, i-research ko ito mamaya si Pino, eh? Pinoy Mon- Monkey. Monkey Pride yeah Monkey. What, what, an, what a colorful um, username syempre parang in the decades to in the decade that has been parang dumadami na itong but that's interesting that you pointed out so this account started first kumbaga calling out the, the, the Dilaw narrative or the yellow narrative hmm. calling out the Dilaw narrative and pointing out gaps in the Dilaw narrative Including things like, for example, sabi ng Dilaw, sinungaling si Ferdinand Marcos dahil sinasabi mm-hmm. niya nag-conspire si Ninoy Aquino with the communists. And then sasabi yeah. ni Pinoy Monkey Pride and other similar YouTube at that time na actually may evidence naman talaga na nag-conspire si Aquino with the communists. And during that time, I was looking at State Department files and the State Department of the United States itself in its classified files said that Aquino was conspiring with the communists. And then I asked a couple of high-profile communists at that time, and they said Aquino was conspiring with the communists. So during this time, actually, hindi mo siya masasabing fake news. Eh. Uh, uh, some of it was, of course. But during this time, it's just like it's like poking holes. And there were so many holes that were being poked that actually a lot of students were asking me about the narrative circulating dito sa social media na to. Kaya ang sinasabi ko is like when you look at Marcosian social media, the, the lens of fake news is not is not adequate. It, you can use it, of course, because there's a lot of fake news there, but it's not adequate. You have to look at other factors that lead to the emergence of a strong pro-Marcos social media movement. Yeah. 
alam mo the, the past weeks and 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 actually years siguro no parang i i look back <coughs> when i was much younger um when when i say much younger as in hindi pa ako journalist and i used to look at the world and politics especially parang black and white diba ito masama ito Okay, pero I guess um, after covering politics, you realize that the good guys aren't always good. Ang daming questionable na decisions, ang daming weird policies. But when you deep, like, deep dive into it, it makes sense why politician A or B voted that way or pushed for this legislation. I wonder, parang did, did that feed into where we are now? This tendency, and I think it's human nature, I guess, din, no? na to distill things into good bad black white uh, yeah yeah and to not and not to assume that your interlocutor the person you're debating with is acting in good faith yeah. i think yun yung pinaka importante so yung favorite example ko diyan yung taliano gold for example <laughs> somebody comes up to you and says ibibigay ibabalik ni marcos yung taliano gold your natural instinct is to go tangayan yeah but actually um Behind yung tanga narrative is, is a genuine desire. And what's the desire there? It's a desire for prosperity and dignity yeah. for our country. Diba? Kasi kung binalik yung Taliano gold, yayaman tayo ulit. So there's a, there, are, there are two versions of that in the pro-Marcos camp. The quote-unquote tanga version, which is bibigyan tayo ng Taliano gold. And the yeah. quote-unquote smart version, which is yung sabi ni Sandro Marcos, the Marcoses will revive the East Asian developmental state in the Philippines, right? It's they're very they're two very different messages, but at its core, these two messages are tapping into the same desire. Meaning, we need we want to be wealthy, right? Yeah, um, and, and I can and, understand that, diba? Kung look, yeah. kung mahirap yung taong bayan, gusto mong yumaman. Yeah, and I mean, ult- yeah, tamang para ultimately people want security, uh, people want a promise of a better state that they are in. And I mean, that was one of the main, albeit vague promises of the, of the golden years or parang the past great years. Um, which, I mean, again, parang kumbaga sa, sa Marcos campaign, medyo fill in the blank siya. Uh, mm-hmm. na, uh, may, may allusions to the Marcos, the first Marcos presidency, the Marshall Law era. Pero ayaw niya sabihin eh, hindi niya sinasabi, if mm-hmm. anything, the Senate bets um, say it explicitly, but you will never hear it from uh, Marcos himself. Say for a few policies, I think, parang sa energy, I think, or was it on, on yeah. Oh, Meron mer- mer- mga elements of Marcosianism ka may kita, kind of vestigial elements of old Marcosianism. Yeah. Like for example, you know, ipapaaral ko kung viable pa ba ang bataan nuclear power plant. Yeah. I yeah. am more comfortable with that he said something to that extent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't like privatization, right? He, he said that. Or I'm very wary of selling government assets. I think this was a res- as a response to Sunny Dominguez who actually wants to sell government assets. So mm-hmm. you don't kind of heavy hand of the state in the economy. It's obviously a vestige of what he learned from his father. And I think he might have indeed learned something from his father. Another telling sign is yung in interview yung first press ko niya and he was talking about inflation and he mm. said inflation is a function of the fact na mataas ang presyo ng, ng uh, langis ng oil yeah. ang crudo sabi niya I, I've actually had experience negotiating with other countries on this so I so I immediately thought parang 2012 2010 I know. Na, did he become an envoy no sabi niya during the last oil crisis in 1973 I was sent yeah. by my father to Saudi Arabia di syempre google ka agad ako he was a teenager yeah so yeah. I mean, it's it's so telling because this guy can implement Marcosian policy because he was learning under his father, and the reason one of the reasons why he seems so entitled is because he was groomed like a prince, right? Yeah. I mean, who else gets educated in the art of governance, practicum in the art of governance, at the age of like 16, 17? Only princess, right? So the yeah. guy's a prince, or and thinks about himself as a prince. Yeah. And I mean, he's packaged that way, although hindi naman, sometimes literally though, if you look at the TikToks or, or the the viral um, quick short videos um, about the family, parang sometimes it's explicit, sometimes parang implied. Um, and of course, kasama na si Sandro Marcos, who, uh, yun nga, interesting din yun kay Sandro na, na parang pasundot-sundot, nag-aano, nag-flex din siya ng mga kunwari policy pronouncements. Uh, Sandro, of course, is an incoming uh, freshman legislator pa lang he'll be representing Ilocos Norte in uh, the 19th Congress. Parinya sa Natalia. Parinya sa Natalia. Yes, he, I mean, uh, he, de- he defeated Ria. 
Actually, very important, di ba? Because now, uh, ang, ang norte mo, ang Ilocos norte mo, is solid Marcos na, di ba? Yeah. And this is, I think, the first time naging solid Marcos siya dahil hindi lang naman yeah. sila dati yung political dynasty dyan, di ba? Nakakatakot yeah. ang Ilocos politics because you have the dominance of the Marcoses in the north. And then 15 singsons ata ang nanalo sa sur. I mean, this was... Yeah. Actually, this is a horrible... We tend to talk about yeah. the national politics, pero ang sama din ng local politics, you know, Kakabagaw, Dinagat Islands, talo sa, um, sa, sa Ecleo, di ba? Uh, yeah. The MILF, they were supposed yeah. to have a good showing dahil they were able to negotiate the BARM. Ginulpi sila sa Mindanao, sa, yeah. sa BARM. So it's, it's not, it's not a, it was not a good election. Yeah. Parang, parang people tend to, obviously, because it's the national elections, no, tend to focus on the nationalization of these dynasties. Magkikan tayo magka-four uh, relatives, four pairs of relatives in the Senate, although uh, former Vice President Bine didn't make it. So, tatlo lang. Yeah. <laughs> yun, yun na yung konswelo, konswelo sa atin. Tatlo lang. Ako, pero sa akin nga, hindi pa nga konswelo yun because I should have voted for Vice President. I didn't. Pero nagsisi ako, I should have voted for him because at least Vice President Binay has a history as an anti-Marcos yeah. activist. Um, kids these days for, forget it, right? But he was a human rights lawyer defending victims of Marcos human rights violations. So that's yeah. part of the Binay DNA um, yeah. regardless of what happened after. Yeah, and he didn't really flip flop hard in terms of talking about the Marcoses, no. Although mm. we did see his uh, daughter, the incumbent senator Nancy Binay, join uh, Miguel Zubiri, who is the presumptive. Ang weird na pati pati senate president may presumptive nare, no. Pero na negotiate na kasi eh, more or less tapos uh-huh. na yan eh. Na ano? Actually, gusto ko lang bumalik dun sa uh, itong technique nila, no. Kasi parang na na realize ko lang din in the in the past. Or I, I was thinking about it uh, during the campaign, but I think I uh, cleansed my thoughts ngayon lang in the aftermath. Na parang while the uni team or the Marcos message draws on nostalgia, di ba? Itong, pati yung shirt jack, pati yung buhok, yung, yung victory peace sign, obviously. Because uh, may vague mentions of old glory days. Yung main message kasi dalaga nila is looking forward, uh, babangon muli, um, When you ask politicians why they supported Marcos despite personal history in some cases of oppression during martial law, they'll always tell you na uh, because you want to look forward, we can't dwell on the past, etc., etc. Because, siempre, de ba? If you look, if 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 Marcos Jr. Um, talked at length about the martial law years or the years of his father, that would open him up to examination of the past. Pero, paano nangyari yun? Paano niya nasabay? <laughs> na, na, di ba? Na, pupulot ako kung saan convenient sa elements ng martial law at ng uh, the greatness of the Marcoses, of the Marcos myth. Pero, ayoko pag-usapan yung martial law itself. Yung galing, you know, I think what you were referring to kanina, yun yung sagot, he's almost like a, through vagueness, he becomes a Rorschach test. Alam mo yung Rorschach test, di ba? Yeah. You plop a couple of, uh, you plop ink dots, kasi interpret mo whatever way you want, and that's reflective more of you than yeah. what the person is actually saying. So, bahala yeah. na, he's, a, he's, a, he's an empty canvas for that. And unity is, is a kind of perfect empty canvas also. Babangon tayo muli yeah. is a kind of perfect empty canvas. So, hasang-hasa uh, yung Uh, hasang hasa yung kampanya alam talaga niya kung ano yung gagawin niya and if you're the opposition like how can you paano mo ititirahin yung unity like ayaw mo nang diba parang ganun uh, yung naging uh, narrative tuloy mm, mm, para mm. ayaw mo ba ng pagkakaisa anong klasing i mean that was what they you know what, what a lot of their allies said in response to the opposition movement mm. Eh, kasi unity naman talaga, unity ng elite families yeah. na uh, natatakot sa return ng quote-unquote dilawan. And yeah. the reason why takot natakot sila is because the last time merong dilawan doon, pinakulong si, pinakulong si Arroyo, right? And they're yeah. afraid that that can happen again. They're afraid na makulong si Digong. They're yeah. afraid na crackdown ulit nun sa mga ginagawa nila. Um, and that's why you have families that ostensibly should not like each other. Um, I mean, <laughs> we should really look at the coalition. People forget that GMA is a makapagal. And makapagal yeah. was the rival of Ferdinand Marcos Sr. in the 65 election. Um, in that coalition was also Erap Estrada. I mean, Erap Estrada has been a Marcos supporter for the longest time. Actually, mm. he's been consistent on that front. But of course, kaaway niya si Arroyo nung Edsa yeah. So, yeah. meron talagang... And then, Villars. Kaaway naman ng Villars si Erap. Di ba? Kasi si Villar ang nag-impeach kay Erap. Yeah. Tapos nandun din sila dun sa coalition na yun. Um, the greatest yeah. rent seekers, I call them the greatest rent seekers in the history of the Philippines, di ba? So how, how do you fight a coalition like that? 
in the span of a few months. I mean, nag-declare si Vice President Robredo tama ba October, November, ganyan. So kung ang, kung ang lalabanan mo is the, the biggest political juggernaut I, I've seen at least since I've since I've observed Philippine politics, and yeah. I can go back in history. I'm trying to go back in history and, and trying to think of a more formidable political juggernaut. Walapaw na isip. I could be wrong. Walapaw na isip. But how do you do that in the span of a few months? So yeah. you want to beat them. You want to. You have to start now, and yeah. you can't, of course, return to you mga you mga lines from the past. Like yeah. one line that I don't that I think has stopped working is anti-corruption. Yeah. A lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people say na ay nakalimutan ba ng mga tao na si Marcos ay corrupt? Actually, hindi nila nakalimutan. What's the evidence for this? Si Najib, a parallel example, si Najib sa Malaysia, it looks like he's going to be prime minister again. And he was convicted in one of the biggest um, corruption scandals, the one M- uh, the one MDB scandal in Malaysia. That scandal was in 2018. Yeah. So it's not about forgetting. It's about people accepting that politicians are corrupt and that despite yeah. the corruption you can rely on them for other things right yeah. and what those other things are what what those other things are roshak na ngayon yeah someone pointed out to me nga during the campaign that nga, tama nga, harping on anti corruption doesn't matter anymore because it's not the hot button topic for for um voters kasi well primarily kasi also surveys indicated that Uh, yung main concern ng voters coming into 2022 was really the economy and jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, how they don't see that in relation to corruption, I'm not sure. I don't think they have my studies na uh, that actually mm-hmm. check that. Yun din yung isa, isa kong naisip during the, the Marcos campaign. Na parang, while, you know, it's a, yung sabi, tawagan ni Lian Buwan, uh, who, who was the main reporter who covered Bongbong Marcos, Um, it was a it's a it's a campaign that ran on good vibes, um, mm. di ba? Umagang kay ganda, papasok siya, wave wave, may Filipino flag sa tabi niya. But in a way, it tapped into the cynicism of Filipinos. I think you know the whole notion na pare pareho lang naman lahat, magnanakaw lahat. Ito na lang. I don't know why. Kasi bago, kasi bago, may iba naman, kasi magnanakaw naman sila lahat parang ganon. Paano siya bago lelwido? Bago for them. Bago for them. Diba? Kasi sobrang tagal na. Um, interesting nga yung idea. Pero interesting din yung idea ng anti-corruption is like, of course, I'm against corruption. Pero in a way, yan, that's not an idea. So again, you can get on your kind of liberal high horse and say, yeah. these people are so stupid, they accept yeah. corruption and they think na hindi tayo maghihirap kung corrupt yung mga tao. But you know, if you look at the academic literature, China is one of the most corrupt countries in the world. Hmm. And yet, it's a lot richer than us. It's posting some of the most amazing GDP growth rates in the world. Korea, before it became rich, was one of the most corrupt countries in the world. If you look at the World Bank studies of Korea in the 1940s, they were calling Korea a bottomless pit of corruption. And according to the economist Ha Jun Chang, who's an economist of the development of Korea, na una yung economic growth sa Korea bago malinis yung corruption. So you cannot dismiss those ideas. Why? Yeah, Why is it uh, like uh, actually? So balik tadya. Kung mabawasan ang mahi, hindi hindi walang korap walang mahirap. Kung mabawasan ang hirap, na babawasan ang korap. Because in a richer economy, the stakes are higher. Yeah. And it's and it's simple like you can pay your bureaucrats a bit more, uh, yeah. um, simple things like that. Um same thing with the United States, you know, the United States was super corrupt at the turn of the 20th century and then bumaba yung corruption as tumaas yung economic growth. So you can't actually dismiss these people as dumb. They they yeah. they have a point. Maybe they don't of course they don't know the academic literature. Yeah. But it's not yeah. true. For me it's not true na kung walang korap walang mahirap. It's just yeah. a false statement. Yeah. Am I wrong in thinking na naglesson na? I don't know, baka kasi ako, I was, because my perspective was very different in that I was chasing around politicians in the Uniteam Alliance the whole 90 days of the elections. But to me, naglesson na yung discourse on bobotante or or, or um, variations of that. But, but do you think, or are we still in that, stuck in that mind na, ay nako, pinili mo si X, si ganyan-ganyan, bobo ka. Yeah, meron pa rin ako naririnig. And ako, I'm very sensitive to that kasi, one, it's it's undiplomatic language. Yeah. But actually, that doesn't mean that we cannot condemn voters. Ito naman, I think, yung problema ng mga ibang tao. Takot na takot silang matawag na elitista that they're afraid to condemn voters. 
So I'm not ready yet to condemn certain people who support Bongbong Marcos, but I am ready to condemn a lot of people who continued supporting Duterte knowing full well na ang daming patay sa drug war. So for example, di ba, the majority of Filipino people believe that uh, the drug war was a good thing, and yet the majority of people, Filipino people also believe that extrajudicial killings were happening. So that means the majority of Filipino people yeah. are okay with extrajudicial killings. Hindi ko yeah. tatawagin yeah. bobotante yon. Pero sasabihin ko na immoral yun. At yeah. I'm going to be very clear that a society that believes that has a, has a rot in it. right There's a yeah. may cancer sa lipunan. So hindi ko sinasabing bobo. Maybe I'm saying something worse. Morally complicit, maybe yeah. that's actually worse. Yeah. Actually, the, the, now that you mentioned that, diba, uh, Ronald Holmes, on, on the day after elections, um, he pointed out that martial law to the current population remains divisive, but tumataas na daw yung may, mga tao na may positive impression. Um, more or less, one-third may positive impression. One-third one negative impression. And then one-third undecided. So, sila sure kung maayos ba ang martial law. Specifically referring to martial law under Ferdinand Marcos. So, imagine, di ba? Parang an era where dissenters were killed, jailed, arrested with little to no impression. And, and now, 36 years after he was ousted into power, according to a survey, uh, one-third lang yung may negative impression. <clears throat> Pero actually, hindi yung ganong kaluma, hindi yung ganong kabago, kasi mm. I was looking at an SWS survey from 1986. Yeah. Effectively, yung attitudes na yun, you can say that that survey reflects yung baseline attitudes for democratization yeah. because it's directly after the Ulster Ferdinand Marcos. 60%, 60 plus percent of respondents called Ferdinand Marcos a brave president. 30 plus percent of respondents refused to believe na magnanakaw siya. Even in 1986. So, yeah. 30 plus percent na yun, di ba? How many, ilang percent yun ako ni Bongbong Marcos, right? It, hindi siya ganong kalayo eh. This threat has always been there. And na point out nga ni Manolo Quezon, I think Manolo was the first one to point this out. Kung kinumbay mo yung boto ni Danding at saka ni Imelda noong 92 election, hindi pero ka ng Marcos restoration, ganun palang kaaga. So we really shouldn't be surprised. I mean, this has yeah. been a part of our society for a very long time. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of people also became semi-complacent because of the 2016 elections na natalo si Bongbong. Not, like, not realizing that he... It's not so much that he lost, but he almost won. Like, he mm -hmm. was so close to winning the vice presidency. And the more I look at the numbers, we were, it was Alan Peter Cayetano, in, in a way, who... Yeah prevented a, a Marcos vice president in 2016. Dahil yung Mindanao votes hinati niya. Nung, nung yeah. Mm. Hinatak niya yung Duterte votes. Actually, I'm, now that I that I think about it, the 2016 vote, as early as 2016, the, the Duterte vote was also kind of the Marcos vote already. Andun lang si Alan Peter Cayetano. Nakipaghati siya sa vote na yon. E ngayon, na-consolidate in 2022. Because mm. you have mm. Sarah um, as his, he now calls her his BFF. Talaga. Um, Bongo o ako rin. O ako rin, tatawagin ko siyang BFF because he basically gave him the election. I mean, yeah. you can say Sarah gave him the election or you can say GMA gave him the election because she brokered the deal, right? So For it's sure. the irony of Makapagal giving an election to a Marcos. I wonder what their parents must be thinking. I think a, a lot of ancestors who lived through the martial law era would be have been rolling around in their graves because of what a lot of their descendants... Kasi ang dami actually, kung, kung iscan mo yung Philippine, yung regions, ang daming incumbents who have, whose fathers, uncles, um, older siblings, iba nga sa kanila sila mismo eh, parang naka-experience rin sila ng paghihirap under martial law. And yet, they're allies um, with Bongbong Marcos now. Uh, nabanggit mo nga kanina na 1986 pa lang, di ba? Parang, it was already there. Like, it, hindi na slowly na-transform yung perception of the older Marcos but it was always there na hindi like a lot a, a huge shock of the population like him um take us back lalo ito 1986 hindi ko sinasabing andun ka na hindi ko sinasabing adult ka na at nakikirali ka na sa people oh. power um but because you obviously study this no uh kasi okay syempre my view of martial law is based on what was taught to me and in a way also, no, parang through a millennial's eyes, a millennial journalist's eyes, so based also on uh, what the politicians who I cover have been saying, what people I talk to have been saying. But how was it viewed 
by the people who lived through the movement? The word I really use is relief. Um, okay. Because I remember when I was working on my first book, Yung Taming People's Power, that was a kind of anti-Dilawan book because I was working in Chenda Luisita. So yung galit ko sa Dilawan, I poured it out there. And I said, you know, after 86, ano ba nangyari? Na-restore lang yung mga oligarchs. It was a very angry book written by a very angry young man. I'm no longer as angry. And then I was talking to my mom about it. And then she said, you know, the problem with the cynicism of this book is that you weren't there to feel the relief. So I mean, yeah, there were a lot of problematic things that happened afterwards. Pero after Marcos, nakahinga, nakahinga talaga kami. And it's very real for my parents kasi yeah. under threat sila for assassination. Communist, you know, we, we, we say it explicitly now. They were members of the Maoist Communist Party. Mm-hmm. They could have been killed under Marcos. Yeah. And, and um, it, it, for a while, you know, in the 80s, it wasn't safe for them. But by the time the 90s hit, yeah. you know, it was a lot safer for, for them na. Even though, you know, it's always dangerous to be a communist in the Philippines. So yung ganong ka, ganon ka explicit moment of relief or, you know, people being able to write again, you know, the newspapers emerging, um, citizens being able to read writers like Nick Joaquin again. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. that would have been, that, that's, a, that's a wonderful experience. And, The most important thing that EDSA did, and this is according to the political scientist Mark Thompson, is because of EDSA, we've had regular elections. I mean, yeah. we shouldn't take that for granted. But yeah. before EDSA, walang regular elections na may, may, may semblance of fairness. So the moment we hit 92 and Cory Aquino turned over power, sabi ni Mark, sabi ni Professor Thompson, we were outside the endangered species list of democracy. And I'd like to think that because we we had a regular election, even though we elected someone uh, dictatorial, yung premise ng campaign, we still elected him under an EDSA system that we are still not in the endangered species list of democracy, right? Um, and that's where I, I I'm still somewhat hopeful. Of course, the the irony here is that you have a Marcos being pre, being an EDSA president with all yeah. that entails. Yeah. Asan so tayo ngayon? Of least concern ba tayo sa listahan ng ano ng binabantayan ng state of democracy? Well, iba na yung yung bare minimum lang na makasing elections, di ba? Yeah. In terms of de- democracy, so I think we 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 hit that bare minimum. But over that, pahirapan ang usapan, di ba? Sure. media? That's very important because the media is the lifeblood of democracy, right? So I. You know, if I, I don't pray, but if I were if I were a prayerful person, I would pray for people like you every every night. <laughs> Because yeah. I mean, these are the you you guys are the ones who will keep this democracy alive as we move forward. Um, one of the things that I always think about uh, as a journalist, and you know, just like as a as a normal Filipino, parang did did we romanticize people power? Oh yeah, I mean we did romanticize people power. Um medyo at saka binaduy natin yung narrative, 'di ba? After EDSA puro never again, never forget those who uh, those who uh, don't wish. Ano yan? Parang hindi ko na nga alam yung quote dahil I've heard it so many times. Those who want to repeat history, whatever yung santayan uh, na sama-sama na or rinding-rinding. Binaduy natin. Meanwhile, yung mga Marcos sna- nagsimula yung snazzy YouTube videos. They've always been one step ahead, di ba? We're pontificating in our books. We're saying words like never again. Meanwhile, they're doing snazzy YouTube videos. We're pontificating again in our books, saying never again. Nasa Facebook na sila. Yeah, And then, yeah. next thing you know, naunahan tayo sa TikTok, right? Um, yeah. So, So yeah, we romanticized it as binadoy pa natin. And then of course, um, because sumabit yung EDSA narrative, nobody likes it anymore or fewer people like it anymore. The institutions that were associated with the EDSA narrative, people don't trust them anymore. So for example, the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church cannot disidentify with the EDSA narrative. Why? Because they built a freaking church on the site, di ba? Yung Our Lady of EDSA. Hindi mo pwedeng i-deny na dilawang ka. Naglagay ka ng simbahan dun, eh, di ba? So because they're so articulated with the, with the EDSA narrative, now those people who don't like the EDSA narrative don't like the Catholic Church either. And that places them in a, posi- in a very difficult position because yung political influence is really, has really been curbed. As a result of this kind of insurrection from the authoritarian forces, and of course the Liberal Party. Na mm-hmm. I hope none of my Liberal Party sources and friends will will hate me for this. But in a way, EDSA turned in people power turned into a marketing strategy. Also, um, mm-hmm. is that too harsh to say? I mean, 
parang kom- na-commercialize, di ba? Nalala yeah. mo yung mga Ninoy and Cory, uh, mga relo, t-shirt, yeah. ganyan. So, na-commercialize siya and it became identified with a particular elite lifestyle. And yeah. in 2010, of course, you're riding high. You don't you don't think that's problematic or you don't think yeah. that's going to cause trouble. Nasa huli yung pagsisisi, of course. And I, that's why I don't think your liberal party friends will blame you because... Sino ba naman na nakakita, nakakita nung panahon na yun na may problema doon, di ba? Yeah. No, of yeah, course. Because you're, 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 when you're winning, literally, mm-hmm. when you're in power, it's, it's hard to see the weeds growing. Kung medyo nasa, nasa patio ka pa or nasa balkonahe ka na, uh, hindi mo makikita na may namumuo na pala dyan sa lupa na mm-hmm. um, pagsisihan mo rin eventually. Um, another thing that we want to talk about, uh, history education, or at least the gaps and lacks thereof, uh, naging hot topic siya recently, at least, especially during the elections din, dahil din sa partly, dahil sa PBB, yung nag-quiz sila at hindi alam na mga bata kung ano ang kumbursa. Um, you, 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 you study, you teach, you research on history. The, does the fact that we have history, like, yung, yung title ng, ng Rappler in-depth report on this is History in Crisis. Does it surprise you that this is happening? And, and how are you processing this now? Uh, dam, I think yung isang original sin dyan, of course, yung dinicentralize yung production of textbooks early on. So ang dami-daming pumasok na fringe ideas through the textbooks. The other thing, Manolo points this out also all the time. Second time I'm referencing Manolo. Uh, <laughs> because he's been so helpful in terms of the way I understand this. It's like, marami naman talagang Filipinos na hindi dumadaan sa history. Hindi lang dahil wala yung history, kundi ang taas ng dropout rate. Di ba? Yeah. So one yeah. way to address the history problem is to reduce the dropout rate so that they hit the history classes. Another thing is, of course, yung, even if the history classes are there, they're taught in an uncritical fashion. I've been writing yes. textbooks. And ang demand lagi sa amin ng teachers, sa mga textbook writers, is lists. Bakit lists? Kasi a list is an easy PowerPoint slide and an easy test. Diba? And then yeah. PowerPoint slide, just papamemorize mo yung list. Um, but I like prose. Eh. And I think yeah. history should be conducted in critical prose, but they like lists. So what's the problem with lists? You create a list about Fernand Marcos. There's no critical appraisal of it. You list, yeah. let's say, let's imagine a textbook list about Fernand Marcos, elected in 1965, re-elected in uh, 1969, assumed office in 1970 uh, again, right? Um, it declared martial law in 1972. Mm-hmm. major events of Ferdinand Marcos. You say, okay, there's no, no problem with Ferdinand Marcos. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So we really need to challenge our educators also to move away from lists and memorization. Yeah. Kumbaga sa news, kumbaga sa journalism, hindi lang, kailang, hindi lang dapat masaya sa straight news. Kailangan, mm. hindi, kailangan huwag tayo matakot sa analysis. Um, mm. At sa in-depth. What, why are we so afraid of that though? Or why is there that notion na, nako, huwag na, parang i Bukod sa fact na yun nga, madali siyang gawing true or false siguro sa mga exams. Yun, 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 yun. Pero actually, hindi ko, I won't, hindi ko, hindi ko i-dismiss yun kasi yung burden naman talaga, lalo ng public Correct. school teachers sa atin, dahil-dahil tinuturuan. Kaya yun yung gusto nila. Kaya gusto nila straight up. So, hindi na sila, yeah. mag, sila magtatrabaho pa. Um, but but really, I think it's also part of yung kind of deferential culture. Meron tayong deferential culture, di ba? We defer to our elders and so we don't challenge things as much. And you see this, um, I think Professor June Aguilar had, had an article in Rappler na sinasabi niya, the power of the Marcos narrative is that it's able to portray those who are outside the unity narrative as quote-unquote pasaway. Diba? So yeah. kung pasaway ka, panggulo ka. Um, but instead of viewing these people as pasaway, you should view them as actually intern- integral facets of our democracy. Importante ang pasaway sa demokrasya, but the way we structure our language is authoritarian na kagad, masama maging pasaway. Kasi, uh, but, okay, uh, the liberal movement, small letter, hindi yung liberal party kasi baka isipin ng mga tao when we see liberal, LP ka agad. Um, the LP, by the way, I think is just starting to get it there. It's bearings again. Uh, hopefully, it won't take as long as it did in 2016. How, sh- how should you respond to this? Um, well, sabi ni, interesting yung provocation ni Professor Randy David, get rid of the Liberal Party, start a new party. Kasi hindi mo na may iwasan ni tape na yung partido na yon. So, yeah. uh, okay lang yun sa akin because liberalism naman continues to reinvent itself, di ba? Yeah. Um, 
the line I keep using, I've been using it since Duterte got elected, is a line from Rizal which says, um, liberalism is a plant that never dies. So lagging may resurrection, um, it will appear as another plant. And it may, may not appear uh, under the guise of a liberal party. It could appear in the guise, say, of a grassroots movement, a new party, like a social democratic party. Pero bumabalik naman yan eh. Um, so yeah. for example, 1970, uh, 1872, uh, um, there was a movement called La Juventud Escolar Liberal, the first liberal party in UST. Member dun si Pasiano um, Mercado would eventually become Pasiano Rizal, Quien Rizal. And then yung, um, yung, yung main party nun was Comité Reformadores, which is also a liberal party. That was suppressed in 1872 nung after the Cavite mutiny alongside the killing of Gamburza, of course. Um, and then wala, halos, halos walang makapagsalitang liberal sa Pilipinas for 10-15 years. And then that movement has to reconstitute itself in Madrid and Barcelona as the expat, as the expatriate movement under Rizal and Co, right? So it takes 10 years. So laging, laging may, may moments of violent suppression and then may moments of re-emergence. Um, and so if we, if, we, if we look at that pattern, then, then, you know, maybe it's hope and there's hope. And remember, it does rhyme, you know, because that, the suppression of liberalism was 1872. What happens 100 years later? Another massive suppression of liberalism, 1972, the Declaration of Martial Law. Yeah. I have, I, I have a question, though, because I know like, a lot of people right now, it's been a month, more than halos, um, since May 9, yung nga, na-proclaim na, nilalatag na ang, ang inauguration. Marami pa rin, um, kung hindi sila lugmok, uh, may may ibang tao hindi pa rin natatanggap yung yung results of the elections may ibang lugmok you seem very optimistic hindi ba na pero hindi ka hindi ka lugmok hindi ka nawawala ng pag-asa where does that stem from though i have to admit Bea, um it's it's from my privilege i mean i'm in the yeah. united states um meron yeah. ex- escape valve intellectually, emotionally, physically. Although, given the number of times I check the news, parang wala rin sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, it, it helps. And then, and the other thing is, of course, itong sense of proportion, itong sense of history na weather-weather lang yan nga, sabi ni Erap. So, magkakaroon mm-hmm. din ang ano, na magbabago yung tide and we'll, we'll see a new generation of leaders. Um, ang, I'm just sad because my parents, yeah. you know, yeah. they're old na and I just want that change in the dynamic of Philippine politics to happen before they die because I don't yeah. want them to pass away sad about the republic, a republic that they fought for when they were young and that yeah. they seem to have lost again now yeah. that they're senior citizens. So it's it's them I'm really, you know, it's they're the ones I'm concerned for. In terms of the Filipino youth, you know, like nieces, for example, I think there's a decent future ahead for them. It's yung mga patatanda na lumaban na kay Marcos once tapos palalabahan mo pa ulit na naka-wheelchair na yung iba. Yung iba nga, di ba, dinadala dun sa rally na nakahiga na and they're yeah. literally nakahiga na sa deathbed. Yeah. But they're the ones I cry for. They're yeah. the ones I really cry for. Honestly, one of the first times na naiyak ako siguro in the, in the kasi there's not, there's, not, there's not really time to cry when you're in the middle of covering um, a campaign because your, your bigger concern is how do I fly out and what time <laughs> How many hours do I have to sleep? But when when um, Glenda Gloria uh, wrote about how her generation is losing sleep um, over the pending the at that point ano palang eh, leading the surveys palang si Bongbong Marcos Jr. They're losing sleep over the fact na kung ano to, to them this is our failure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think but but I think millennials will also say na oh we also failed um, collective failure yung feeling siguro ngayon. Yeah, uh, collective failure, but also there are many things out of our control, right? Um, yeah. This is a. It should be emphasized that this is a global movement. Yeah. The disillusionment with liberal democracy is happening everywhere, and that's no accident. It's it's because they're helping each other. You know, these yeah. people these people run the same networks. Right? I mean, yeah. you did great reporting. Rapper did great reporting on Cambridge Analytica. We know that the people who designed the Marcos campaign in '86 were the same people who designed the. Trump campaign in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that Rodrigo Duterte loves Vladimir Putin, for example. Mm-hmm. We know that Bongbong Marcos likes China. To what extent is he supported by China? We don't know, but it's a, it's a kind of global movement. And just a f- and just because hindi natin makita lahat ng connection, because a lot of these connections are it's called duggery, diba? 
doesn't necessarily mean wala siya. And we can actually scratch the surface. Like yung reporting niyo, of course, on Cambridge Analytica was scratching that surface. And yeah. um, hopefully we the, the, the picture becomes clearer as we move forward. Because as the, as, uh, if the picture becomes clearer, kung makita natin yung extent, malalaman natin kung paano ba talaga labanan yung problema. Yeah. Um, speaking of yung weather-weather nga, kung tingnan mo nga, di ba, ito nga Uniteam Coalition, uh, Gloria Macapagal-Arroyo is a power broker once again. Like, it's not like this was out of, like, unexpected, di ba? Siyempre, under Duterte pa lang, naging house speaker na siya. Um, kita mo, si, the, the Estrada siblings are back after a very, well, painful for them, 2019 loss. So, uh, mabilis umikot ang Philippine politics, for better or worse. Saka brittle naman, brittle naman yung coalition na yan, di ba? Um, kita mo na nga yung cleavages pala ngayon. Uh, yeah. nagpar- nagparamdam si former President Arroyo na okay lang naman kahit hindi siya naging Speaker of the House, pero nasaktan siya, di ba? Uh, te- yeah. Telling yun, di ba? Yung maglilikan ng ganun. Or yeah. yung sinampal si Saro Duterte publicly. You, know? you want yeah. defense? Here you go. Education, one of the toughest jobs for a Marcos administration. Yeah. So those those cleavages are there, and this is I don't know. This is one of my sources of hope in Philippine politics. Masadong maraming gahaman na kailan pa kainet at hindi mo kaya pa kainin lahat. So at one point, gumuguhu yung mga coalition na mga gahaman. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yun yun ngayong interesting for a political geek siguro mm-hmm. to look at how this very powerful but major fragile coalition yun nga we will will ito pa lang forming the cabinet pa lang diba para it's taking so long and it gives you the impression that intense negotiations are happening behind the scenes um, yeah. because you have powerful lobbies siguro left and right up and down um, mm-hmm. sa mga top key positions as we're recording this just to siguro in case by the time this airs may bago ng announcement it's June June 4 wala pang DOH na ina-announce Uh, wala pang DND na ina-announce so like the Sobrang the crucial. the major not to mm-hmm. not to diminish the other cabinet posts pero parang the the anchor na cabinet positions wala pang napipili and i think it says a lot din na yeah and and this could know. still change pero uh, ngayon sa June 4 pag tinitingnan ko yung cabinet what's surprising about it is parang mas maraming era people kaysa sa GMA people which is not something i expected diba parang Of course, they're drawing from previous administration and administrations, and the assumption was that they would draw from Jimmy. Actually, a lot of the people, Jokno, for example, they're Arab people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they did have promises na pati daw uh, magiging true unity coalition, and they'll be taking from different camps. Siyempre, hindi nila sinabi at the time na they'll be taking a lot from the Arab camp pala. Now we're seeing that. Um, but it'll be interesting. Actually, yung mas interested din ako, so we have the cabinet level, the secretary levels, right? I want to see who, who they will be appointing to the USEX, to the ASEX. Yun din, mm-hmm. lobbying din yun from the different mm-hmm. camps. Um, kasi baka one camp will say, sige, you can get the secretary, but we get the USEC for this specific mm-hmm. uh, division or this specific mm-hmm. concern or i-inventohan ng USEC position ng isang tao nila. So, ah, interesting yung... DFA ba? May, meron na mga... May, meron na ba? Meron ng, meron ng chismis? As, as of recording, wala pang napipili. May mga names floated, pero they haven't uh, selected. Yung pinakamalino talaga, in fairness, from the very, very beginning was the House leadership. Uh, si Martin Romualdez na... Um, I love saying this out loud kasi sobrang interconnected ni Martin Romualdez sa lahat. Bukod sa cousin siya ni Bongbong Marcos, campaign manager siya ni Sara Duterte and he's also the Lakas CMD president. Right. So it's interesting to see what... Uh, how Congress will shape up, the 19th Congress yeah. will shape up under a Speaker Romualdez while Gloria Macapagal-Arroyo is one of his constituents in in, mm. in colleagues in, in the House. So... At kaibigang matalik daw. Daw. Let's see. You know, let's see what happens. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so we're ending this in a bit, but kasi na, I watched a few of your Basaganang Trip episodes. And I have to say, no, feeling ko nga, parang that should be, like bukod sa show na yon, like that should be, a, a, like in a way, how people should view things. Like, I feel like there's also this human nature naman siguro yun, na parang, You always wanna, you just listen to what you wanna hear. Um, mm-hmm. I guess part din yun ng grieving process after the May 9 elections. Yeah. Pero I think you mentioned in passing, in, in, in jest, nung May 9 na parang 
you felt you were too harsh in criticizing the people power really yeah yeah I, i i didn't mention i didn't mention that in jest actually so really the first, first book was called taming people's power and in dito plug actually medyo sinisira ako ng konting libro Uh, it's a critique of the EDSA narrative. Mm-hmm. Nung time na yun, wala pa naman Duterte, walang Marcos. So I thought it was safe to critique the EDSA narrative because it was the dominant narrative. Um, and then we reissued it nung mga three years ago. And then I wrote a new preface. And the preface was so self-lacerating, parang sabi ko, bullshit tong librong to. But my publisher said, if you're going to say that, Leloy, bad pa natin to i-republish. I- I- so... So I think I think the value of the book now is that you can read it and see yung beginnings of yung critique ng EDSA. Kasi nga, yung first time ko marinig yung dila, the word na dilawan, pejoratively, 2009. Yeah. Doon sa ano. Yeah. So, 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 so yun. Um, there's one thing I want to say, I think, if, if I may. Um, yeah. I kind of in closing. Because you mentioned it's so hard to take yourself out of these silos, di ba? And the mm-hmm. reason why it's so hard to take yourself out of these silos is because mabibreak yung self-esteem mo kung sinabi mo mali ka or mali yung mga kaibigan mo. So, mahirap yon. And the only solution to that is to be strong enough to change your mind and to be strong enough to disagree with friends and family or to be strong enough to admit na yung kalaban mo may tama. How do you get yeah. to that position of strongness, uh, of strength? I think you get to that position of strength by looking for anchors in your life, um, looking for real love in your life. If you feel loved in your life, kung parang fundamentally feel kung mahal ako at may minamahal ako, walang problema if I say nagkamali ako, may tama yung kalabang. Walang problema because I'm fundamentally loved. <laughs> I know that's a very cheesy way of responding, but like in, the, in this day and age, we need to be strong and the only way to do that is to remember that, is to find sources of love that will keep our feet on the ground. No, I think that's a good point, especially because we live in a hyper-connected social media world where a lot of people, whether they want to, whether they're aware of it, parang nakahinge na sa clout yung, yung self-esteem mo minsan or yung, yung image of self-worth mo na, yun nga, on, on, on social media, it's hard to say that, it's hard to admit that you were wrong or yeah. that it's time to re-examine uh, the things that you presume to be the absolute truth mm-hmm. um although that opens us up also to misinformation minsan na kung yeah, yeah. mo naman kinu-question yung truth na tinuro sa inyo na naniniwala ka na sa mga tulad ni ano Pinoy Monkey Pride um, oh, oh. and and similar channels marami na naglipana ng mga ganun to conclude Leloy para siguro mas masaya naman ng konti um the, you know the, this podcast or this the show tries to um answer where are we heading trying to make sense of of where we are now and where we're heading but for you on a personal level like what do you read what do you watch listen to or do to help you make sense of your world uh so first of all re- relaxation is just to watch all the big shows on disney plus from star wars etc etc and wala uh, kaming ganun sa pilipinas eh meron kayong access oh, wink wink meron kayong ganyan sa pilipinas <laughs> Um, alam natin lahat meron kayong gasip uh, but, but yung, yung, yung reading is for me like uh, always read comparatively um, don't just read about the Philippines I try to read about what's happening elsewhere in the world and then of course to read where I'm weak um, so when I was an undergrad or when I was early in my academic career my weakness was economics so I read a lot of economics and now it's my current ob- obsession. Um, so read read where you think you're weak um, because that's a that's always a great challenge. That's that's what I do. What's um, your current read? Or, or is there a book like you're reading right now? Uh, that, uh, current read, I've read the Slow Horses, eh, the spy novel. I'm reading spy novels. So, so I think we should, we, should, we should read to make ourselves happy also these days. Oh, I, I used to be so pretentious about not wanting to read romance novels. And then the 2022 campaign happened and I'm like, read all the romance novels you want. Like, ano, ano, ano? Nicholas Sparks level, levels, ganyan. Mahilig ako magbasa ng Nicholas Sparks nung high school ako kasi broken-hearted ako. Tapos wala akong ginawa kundi makinig ng side A. Kasi, <laughs> kasi ano, loose, wala akong date eh. So may kinig lang ng side A. So side A has gotten me through a lot. Maybe I should start listening Napaka to it. Napaka-specific ng narrative. And look at you. No, you're you're rooted in love, oh, diba? Yun yung goal natin lahat at the end of the day is to be rooted in love and to make better sense of the of the chaos around us. Maraming salamat, Lelo, for Maraming indulging salamat. us. 
Hi, it's me again, and here's our fact check spotlight of the week. Vice President Alexander Duterte is also the incoming Education Secretary. That's a fact. Now, here's the lie. There's been a quote card going around saying she'll be asking Congress to amend the K-12 program into a K-14 program, supposedly to include mandatory service in the AFP. Again, this is a lie. The vice president-elect's team and spokesperson have denied these plans, and in fact, the incoming vice president has only said that she's ready to rumble and that she's excited to take over the education portfolio. Here is a few things that are factual and that you should be watching out for. Sala Duterte has said previously that she wants mandatory military service for adult Filipinos. She said this back in January before the official campaign period during an online campaign event. She has not expounded on this proposal since. She hasn't mentioned it since either, even after she was announced as the next education chief. This is important because, as experts have pointed out, we are in the middle of a learning crisis, in history especially. Lalay talked briefly about this during the interview. The Department of Education gets the biggest chunk of the Philippine budget, but it's also among the toughest jobs out there for the incoming administration. It's important, especially in the light of an incoming Marcos administration, because how will we be teaching history and martial law especially when a Marcos Jr. is sitting in Malacanang? So this has been Beko Pin. This is 36 Years. Again, it's a show where we talk about Philippine politics, news, and democracy. Catch 36 Years on Rappler's social media pages and other podcasts and shows of Rappler, actually, and on wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening, watching, and we'll see you again next week. Bye!